Pod Boys Productions. I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. I wish I could break all the chains holding me. I wish I could say all the things that I should say. Say them loud, say them clear for the whole round Welcome back to Movies Are Relevant on the Brooklyn Rebound Network Podcast Network. It's your boy, your quarantine friend, Padre, over here from the West Coast uh, bunker. And I've checked, I am checking in once again for a monthly uh, movies edition like we've been doing. So this is for the month of April, checking back in with my compatriot on the East Coast in his East Coast Brooklyn bunker, Edashnam. How's it going over there in your bunker? What's up, buddy? It's your boy, Young Malignant Entity, um, out here <laughs> doing nothing, enjoying nothing, and uh, just observing the fact that time has no meaning 30 times a day in every conversation that I have. What's up? Okay. Well, what's up is that we're going to try to distract you and everyone else from that negative space right now by talking about a lot of films that I guess involve a negative space of sorts. Um, I flipped the script last time in the March episode. We were doing, we were doing it. I came up with the name for it after we recorded the pod, so that was bad uh, branding timing for me. Choose your co-host movie adventure podcast last time we did we're planning to do that again this episode last time was ones out of each other's comfort zone this was going to be ones more in there but that the other host hadn't seen yet but i decided to throw a wrench into that for now punt that down maybe to the may episode because with everything going on we really got to talk some trapped movies a young malignant entity we got to talk some films about being trapped in one location as we kind of all are these days just me trapped here with all the ghosts that i'm watching videos of on youtube yeah and you had confessed confessed i'll call it to me off pod that you um haven't been uh watching too many films during this quarantine quite the opposite from me i've been obsessively watching them especially with none of my beloved sports uh, to watch obsessively going through films but you and i it's not uncommon i've heard other people saying this too actually they can't focus on a lot of stuff during this and so you're going to ghost videos oh yeah you're eschewing the grudge and and it's many sequels prequels side quotes as we discussed just for straight up what like how long are these uh, these youtube uh, ghost vids do you want to do this I mean, I just want a brief, a brief answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, usually it's like collections of five or six clips and some narration, and it lasts like 10 to 12 minutes. And I've just been watching those over and over and over again, and then listening to communism podcasts. Okay. Well, that's always good, I guess. Um, at least you're, you're keeping up with your podcast quotient. Talking videos, you could have been watching Trapped in the Closet by R. Kelly, that whole series to warm you up for this trapped uh, episode no i guess i could have no he's canceled though oh i I can no longer enjoy the tale of uh 
Sylvester, Twan, Roxanne, Tina. Oh, but Roxanne and Tina. And, Big man. And, and all Sylvester and all them. They they weren't canceled. It was just their creator, right? Well, Sylvester was canceled. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I guess I don't know the lore of Trapped in the Closet that much to continue to continue this riff much further. But yeah, so we're going to talk some Trapped films. There's quite a few of them. We picked one in particular that we're going to get a little more in-depth on. But yeah, this will be just a pretty loose, freewheeling episode. But before we get into that Trapped stuff, we got to bring our only recurring segment as of right now on the Movies Are Relevant podcast. We got to talk some Pew with the Pew Review, which I think is a name you came up with last Pew time. Watch. The Pew Watch. Yeah, yeah. I, I think... I think we are calling it the Pew Review. I just like doing that. Even though we didn't review anything last time, or spoiler alert, this time we're not going to either. I assume you didn't watch any more Pew films in the, in the interim, did you? Well, even, uh, unless she was in a ghost uh, video, depends I Depends on how, yeah, it depends on how you feel about the cinematic qualities of her Instagram stories. I haven't gotten into them yet. I mean, maybe that's the next month's Pew Review segment. We can we can dig on some Instagram stories. Hey, it might come up today, actually, but... Last time we we looked at we, we tried to learn more about our saint of the pod by doing a little Google searching, like what is Florence P like you know that sort of thing. Go back and listen if you hadn't. But uh, this time I was thinking we'll make we'll also keep it timely. Let's do a little digging in and see how let's try to figure out how she's doing with this quarantine. Maybe you know something about this because if you're watching if she's posting on Instagram about it, is that the case? E dash nom. Yeah. I feel like I'll have a leg up in this competition. I was just gonna Google some stuff like maybe Florence Pugh quarantine. That does Florence Pugh have COVID? <laughs> question mark. Right. Uh, things like that, and we can we can try to figure this thing out. And maybe we can even look if she's done any trapped films. You know what I mean? Maybe she, maybe there's something we we should have watched. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious to see what comes up if when you type in does Florence Pugh have coronavirus. Yeah, no, now I'm desperate to know what the first three hits are. I've pulled up a incognito window. I don't remember if I did that last time or not for my Google searches, which I should have done had I not, if I didn't do it, because that way it won't affect any of your previous searches. So, all right, maybe I need to quotate, quotate this. Is that how you'd say that? No results found for does Florence. Oh, it just says Florence have coronavirus, so that's probably like Italy, so there should be results, but... Let me add the pew in there. Still no results found for that exact um, phrase. But Riveting radio. No, I guess, so I guess she doesn't have it. Like, two tigers in the Bronx Zoo, I think, have yeah. the virus. No, one tiger and two house cats in New York have tested positive for the virus. I hope uh, Willow and Xander haven't been, uh, uh, you know, fraternizing with any Bronx uh, Zoo inhabitants, have they? Willow and Xander are safe indoors. My, my little bubble girls. Good, good. Well, fine. so my initial, so that search came up with nothing specifically just for that combination of words, but it does have results. So like I clicked on one, an article from dailymail.co.uk, which is actually a website I've, I go on some, sometimes to, to look at news. It's, it's like, it's a little bit, um, tabloidy, but not yeah, too hard. When you want news about Harry and Meghan. Yeah. No, well, yeah, but they have like, I, I still look for, look at it like American news, what they put on there. It's a British at the, uh, site, obviously. But there is an article that was released just 11 hours ago, so today, I guess, that says... Oh, no. Oh, this is from their U.S. showbiz section that says, the, the headline is, My dad reminded me to do things that make me happy. Florence Pugh admits she felt low 
at the beginning, uh, at low is in uh, quotations, at the beginning of COVID-19 lockdown, but lifted her spirits by growing a vegetable patch. And that's the entire headline, quite a long headline there. So yeah, this, this was posted today, the 23rd of April, as we record. And oh, this is pretty good. We've got a nice uh, shot of her, a candid home shot of her, I guess, She's dishing out a bowl of soup. I'm assuming there's vegetables from her aforementioned uh, vegetable patch in that soup uh, pan that I'm seeing pot. Is there also tuna and or chickpeas in it? Because let me tell you, she loves tuna and or chickpeas. Well, let me see if I can try to figure that out. I was going to ask, though, yeah, did has she mentioned soup or vegetable patches on those uh, Instagram stuff? Uh, I don't think that those have made it in or, or I may have stopped paying attention i was watching for like two weeks i would like it would it would come to her in the list of just like you watched everyone in front of her's video it's her time now and there would be like 18 clips at the top and it was just her like just bullshitting while she was making some dumb mock homemade with kitchen scraps is what i'm trying to say desperately trying not to use the word ghetto because we don't do that ratatouille Okay, I was gonna say I had no idea what you were trying to say to be honest. Okay, so some uh, some janky uh, ratatouille. Right. So some real like black market stuff. <laughs> real like shadowy alley grog, and she's just some grog, grog. always opening cans of tuna and chickpeas. Really charming though. Great camera presence. So um, there's a couple of photos on this as part of this article. The, the first one, like I said, is the soup. Can't parse out any chickpeas on it. They're not really focusing in right on the, the soup exactly. Then there's a photo of her with some uh, Roma, or not Roma, some uh, cherry, or no, some grape. Um, oh, no, those are cherry tomatoes, yeah. She's rocking tomatoes in this article. And then there's one more other picture of her on the ground. Uh, on the ground, on the bottom of the article. And this comes with a little a caption that says, Florence hit out at trolls who criticized her relationship with boyfriend Zach Braff, 45, insisting they couldn't tell her who she should and shouldn't love. So I guess I was one of those trolls last episode who was uh, not not a fan of that relationship when I found out about it during our last peer review. Yeah, dude, the patron city of the pod posted like an Instagram story or post or whatever that was just a video of him like sleeping on a couch or whatever. Uh, just just a little like clip and was like very excited it was like their anniversary or something or like they it was their like facebook official date or whatever and she just went silent for three days and then came back online just like really upset about the way that people were talking to her about zach rap it was interesting and of course we've got uh, uh the the, the uh, article sec or the rather the uh, comment section is full of people being like these these uh, celebrities, I don't care about how they have to come yeah. up with this or whatever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so great. That's predictable. All right, well, that was the, uh, the Pew review for our April April pod. I want to get into these Trapped films. I guess uh, next time we can look at it. If we don't watch another of her films in, in that next month, we can look back to her IMDb and see if we missed anything. But... Uh, Let's let's start talking some trap films. The made the one that I that I kind of highlighted before. I didn't say the title of it though. The one we want to mainly focus on that we both watched this week was the 1990 film Misery, uh, directed by Rob Reiner, of course, a Stephen King adaptation, a classic trapped film. I hadn't seen it in years, and you probably I was probably like 11 last time I watched it. I think but, uh, I was uh, 
maybe not surprised. I, I remembered it being a good film, but I thought it held up uh, very well, in my opinion. I saw get your get your thoughts on it too. But uh, yeah, and then we'll maybe we'll maybe talk a few other uh, trapped films we thought of. But it's good to pick one to to focus on. Of course, that that is uh, the story for anyone not familiar. I mean, this is a pretty famous movie, I guess, but. For anyone not familiar, if uh, a, a, a shockingly a writer is the main character, in a, <laughs> a writer who's thing. recently been in a car accident in Colorado, yeah. he uh, a writer who is on cocaine for a whole decade and wrote a bunch of books he doesn't remember. Oh no, they don't get into that. <laughs> so a writer played by James Caan is finishes his latest book. He always does it in the small town. And now this was interesting. I wonder if they changed this for the movie. Uh, and actually, let me let me start by here. Have you have you read the the book Misery by Stephen King? You're a fan of King, right? I read everything by Stephen King that had been published before around 2006. By around 2006. So if you're asking me, do I remember reading Misery? Not really. But I know that I have read it. I don't think I had seen the film. Some of his movies are made out of his like short stories and stuff. I'm not even positive it was a novel, but I think it was, but I'm not positive. Yeah, and you are a Stephen, yeah, obviously you are a Stephen King fan. I'm not personally, like, I've never really read any of his books. I know maybe that's less common of where I'm coming from. I know it seems like a lot of people are big fans of him or have at least read some of his books. But, but I, what I was going to say was normally he's always setting everything in Maine where he's from right I was wondering if the book is the set there because this was in Colorado but I was wondering if they, maybe they changed that for the, the film well he did spend a lot of time doing writers retreats in the in the woods in Colorado like I mean he literally went to the haunted hotel that the shiny is based on and I know that he was in a car accident in Colorado at some point in his life okay so yeah anyway this it's winter snowstorm James Conn is leaving the his like retreat area with his with his book the only copy of his novel and gets in a car crash probably would die or be in serious trouble if he wasn't picked up by a woman who rescues him played by kathy bates but then of course he is her prisoner and she's a little bit a little bit mentally unstable and she's a nurse though so she nurses him back to health but then uh does not let him leave especially after she reads his uh, new manuscript and finds out that uh, her beloved uh, heroine, Misery, the namesake of the film, his, his character he writes, is being killed off because he's sick of writing about the same stuff all the time. Um, so he wants to end the series, and of course she is far from pleased with that development. So um, there's, you know, of course there's a famous hobbling scene. I think that's what most people remember the most from it. That was certainly the scene I remember the most, but I was surprised going back watching it this time years and years later how many how many different great scenes are in this and different things I didn't really remember. But yeah, let me get your thoughts. You said you probably watched this for the first time, right? Uh, that you remember. Did you think it held up pretty well? This was a 1990 film, so around the time you were born, right? Yeah, so this film and your co-host were both created in 1990, and they've aged about as well each is aged about as well as the other. It's just tough for me as a person who lives in, and we've talked about this previously, last month. <laughs> it's just tough as me as a person who's living in 2020 and has seen the things that I've seen to like really get into a movie that has the limitations 
of a film shot in 1990 with whatever budget that it was supposedly had. I know at the time that it didn't, but parts of it feel real hokey. And I want to say, like, as a, as a big fan of Stephen King, a lot of that is his fault. He has a really big problem where he can't write any sexual or romantic dialogue. It, it always sounds terrible. And he does this thing where he starts to write people. It happens a lot in Needful Things that I'm remembering specifically and, and in Misery, where if he's writing someone that he has nothing in common with, he just simply can't write the way that they would speak. Like no person would talk the way that Kathy Bates talks in this movie. And, and it really suffered for that. <laughs> Having said all that, like it was like a really successful, tense situation. Almost everything worked, except for the really glaring things that didn't, if that makes any fucking sense. Yeah, uh, in terms of like the hokey kind of Stephen King quality, I actually thought, even based on some other stuff I've seen based on his stuff, I thought like they kind of skirted some of the more hokey stuff pretty well in this. It's still some of it's in there, especially with some of the stuff Kathy Bates says, but it did. I thought Rob Reiner did a pretty solid job of avoiding some of it. You're right about like her character, how she talks, but that is kind of built into the character, I feel like. She's like super against swearing right she gets upset when she reads the thing and there's like swear words in it for the first time yeah she has some kind of warped sense of the world obviously of the world but like a warped sense of like a warped sense of morality or whatever and then she says stuff like um i'm trying to think of some of the specific phrases she says that are weird but christing christing i don't even remember when that came up but yeah it's here's the thing and this happens with all of the aforementioned characters that i'm thinking about like that stephen king just has nothing in common with it's not as if a real person was was like warped to fit the shape of the character that he has in mind he's summoning like the this this teetotaling psychopath whole cloth out of like another dimension to the point where like she doesn't resemble a human being yeah i guess because she is one of the monsters in his stories and it just it didn't work great on film the way that that dialogue and, and like her personality clash with reality i feel like a remake would have done it better hmm i don't know but i think she actually won the oscar for this best supporting actor she's doing a lot with a medium amount james Conn also is doing a medium amount with a little he's really good in this i think um, yeah he's pretty he's pretty damn good it's good casting him especially because he's known as being like kind of the tough guy roles obviously you know like Sonny Corleone is the most famous role and all this stuff yeah and actually one of the other trapped films I was going to mention that I watched after this uh just yesterday is the first film he's in where he gets the introducing James Conn credit is this film from 1964 called Lady in a Cage I'll talk about that in a little bit for uh, for a few minutes but um that's a trap film also where he's the, one of the villains and like the main villain so yeah, anyway, he's kind of, it's not against type per se, it's putting that like tough guy, it, it's good casting to put someone you know as being like kind of like a tough guy in this role where they're basically trapped and they have to, they can't use their like physical toughness or whatever, or they can't talk their way out of it or threaten their way out of it. They're completely hamstrung and neutered essentially, so. Right, it removes all physicality and menace from his from his persona yeah and in terms of like i was saying it holds up to you it is very tense still and everything i thought the filmmaking held up well in terms of like it's from 1990 but it was shot well well enough i think and it wasn't like it i didn't see anything hokey in terms of the like the, the movie and making quality of it if you're if you're talking about that 
No, no, I, I don't mean to impugn the, the, like, perfectly satisfactory efforts of Rob Reiner in, in this and all things he does. It's just, when I was watching this movie, I couldn't help imagining a version of this movie where that character made sense as a real person. Yeah. Well, I think it is, like, you're right, it's not a very realistic person, obviously, but she really is, like, the monster, the movie monster, you know? She is, like, the Jaws. Like, right, and there is some... Yeah, you're right. You're right. And that being said, I think she is well cast as well. And I was really noticing some this time some of the more supporting characters. I feel like there was some things I saw when I was a kid I I wouldn't have really noticed as much. Like the sheriff and his wife, their whole relationship I really enjoyed watching it this time and their little th- they had some more I, I like seeing like an older couple like that that was kind of um They were cute. Well, I like the scene where she's trying, she's like in the car with him, like on his leg, like trying to get get frisky with him, and he's like trying to do his <laughs> yeah, like that's stuff you don't always see a lot with old, older couple characters and older characters in films that I thought was was kind of that actor's name is Richard Farnsworth. He's in he's a pretty legendary actor too, but yeah, I, I like seeing him, and I I really liked how I think the script was really good too because everything. Yeah, you've got this kind of monster person that's not maybe not realistic, but that's the world you're in. That's what you have to deal with. It. Everything James Conn does, like to try to escape, it all pretty much made sense. Like there's no huge leaps in logic or anything. He made logical decisions to try to get out, and he was foiled a bunch of times, ultimately leading, unfortunately, to the death of the of the sheriff before he finally gets free. But um, and you know, of course, when he shows up, you're gonna yeah. That always happens in Stephen King movies. Or novels but you know what i mean it wasn't anything crazy of like some big thing he does to get out. he does like he makes like smart moves to try to do stuff even eventually trying to like play to her you know, delusions yeah i agree like the the tension between them the, the the claustrophobic sense of their relationship in that house it, it does work the movie still works i just yeah like i had problems with that villain yeah so it's like if they were gonna make 2021 whenever people can start making movies again, I guess, and be in all one room. They're going to make 2021 Misery Netflix reboot, remake. You would want... It's not... Well, I'll ask you what, what casting you would think. Maybe we could figure out a good casting for a remake. But you would want the villain to be more realistic in terms of what exactly? Everything? Yeah, from, from her dialogue to her affect. Apart from, from the, the dialogue. the way that she goes from zero to a hundred... I keep thinking, if I had to recast this, I keep thinking of um, Julianne Moore, which is poetic because she played the mother in the remake of Carrie, and she did a fine job. Uh, that movie isn't as good as Carrie, but like it's not her fault. Hmm. I want someone who can turn on a dime to turn on a dime, but I want it to be believable. And I don't know, like, I'm not an actor. I don't know how she'd accomplish yeah. that in a way that I feel, apparently, that Kathy Bates did not. And Kathy Bates did fine with the material. You know what I mean. I would want them to alter the material a little. I would want I would want more menace. I would want that river of darkness lurking. Yeah. She played it too centered. I would want more highs and more lows. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, her lows weren't really... She always seemed a little bit off kilter for the most part, which I think was intentional. But yeah, they could do it differently. Maybe we, if we're doing the remake, do we change it from an author and a book fan? Because what, one thing I did think was interesting, when he's looking through her like scrapbook, they show she was like a killer nurse like killing babies evidently it seems like which is like a real thing yeah most um female serial killers are like this type of serial killer where they're like it's like nurses that kill like children and babies and stuff like that or old people either babies or old people 
that's by far the most like 90 percent of female serial killers are either that or they're killing for like insurance money and stuff they're like they're like black widows but so that that is like something maybe if they tied that in it and it's not like um an author that but it's like a famous doctor or something but that wouldn't really make sense because like he would be able to fix himself a little bit medically or he wouldn't be hamstrung that you know what it'd be in 2020 it'd be a it'd be a really a really famous podcaster and a reply guy (laughs) of course okay a reply girl yeah i mean that would be like the modern update or whatever but well who would be the so you like julianne Moore for the annie something annie yeah annie wilkes right annie wilkes yeah yes correct so julianne Moore is wilkes i mean maybe a little see the one thing that is good about the kathy bates casting too is she's she is physically menacing to some degree Mm -hmm. which julianne Moore certainly is not especially as older as she gets i think you kind of need that here's where i'm going to push back on that Julianne Moore is beautiful, and I feel like that would give the, like, sweetness that Kathy Bates was doing, where it was kind of a matronly thing, and you were supposed to be repulsed by it, um, because Hollywood had all sorts of issues with women back then. I I feel like Julianne Moore could bring this, like, seductive quality to to the moments where she's not trying to murder him that would really make the tension in the movie more worthwhile. Yeah, I could see that. Not that, not that I didn't like this, but you know what I mean. Like, 1990 Kathy Bates is, honestly isn't unattractive, really. But she is, like, a little no, bigger. Like, she no, is but a they more made physically. her really matronly. Yeah. Yeah. But, so, okay, so who who do you like for the 2021 con uh, character? I feel like I'm cheating because this is my stock answer because I just think he's the best working male actor under 45. But I'm going to say Oscar Isaac. Yeah, I could de- I mean, he could definitely do, do, a, do a con. So Isaac, and we, we're keeping him as a author, famous author, or, oh, he's a podcaster, right? He, he's a podcaster, I forget. He could honestly just play Oscar Isaac because every girl in the world and, it, and your devoted dear co-host is in love with Oscar Isaac. So like the twist, everything has to have like a crazy twist now. Like the twist, the Shyamalan twist in this is going to be like you, Julianne Moore is really a front for you. You're putting her up to this, like kidnapping him and all this, and you're really behind in a closet, reply guy. Right, okay. right. Well, yeah, that's good. Parody. And then who's the sheriff? Uh, last recasting. Who do we got for the sheriff? Who's like the Who's the good old guy actor right now? Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. Okay. I was gonna say Bruce Dern, but he's too old. So I thought I, you were I, too. Uh, so I veered. <laughs> All right, I like this. Bruce Springsteen. He could use his real life wife for uh, Patty Scialfa for the. Uh, the the wife character exactly oh and they need the legendary hollywood actress lauren bacall as his uh is khan's uh agent so who's the who's the legendary uh now what they would do honestly if they really were remaking this movie they would have kathy bates play the agent this time they would like get the little nod hear me out now that we're here laura dern yeah, not old enough, though, I think. Well, she's not the age that Lauren Bacall was in 1990, no. So it's, like, Lauren Bacall in 1990 was, like... I mean, she's, like, a legendary actress from, like, the 40s is her main heyday. So, like, who's the legendary actress from, like, the 70s, I guess it would be. You would need, like, um... <sighs> Who is the legendary actress from... The... It, would be, it would be, like, Diane Keaton, maybe? Jane Fonda, yeah, one of those two. Oh, Jane Fonda could be, for sure, yeah. Okay. I don't think there really is an equivalent because that was like the Hollywood golden age or whatever. But that is a good transition into the other con movie I wanted to talk about a little bit that I watched that I mentioned. You did a double con. Was this Scott or James? Fitting perfectly because he, like I said, it was his introducing James Con credit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1964. 
Lady in a Cage. I didn't love the film, but it, it was interest. There was a lot of interesting things around it. So the star of this film is Olivia de Havilland, who is in the Lauren Bacall era, even started before her. Legendary Hollywood actress, still alive. Do you want to take a guess at how? So in 1964. Uh, no, if I say that, then you could you do the math. So Lauren Bacall, I mean, not Lauren Bacall, she's dead. Olivia de Havilland, still alive, was making films with, she co-starred as Maid Marian with Errol Flynn in like the 1934 or whenever it was, Robin Hood, classic Adventures of Robin Hood film. Jesus. Which is a good film I recommend. Still alive today. How old do you think she is? Is she 98? Older. <laughs> oh my God, is she over 100? She's over 100. Actually, let me look it up to, to get the exact um, age. I think she's 103 or 104. She's even older than Kirk Douglas, who died recently over 100. Olivia de Havilland lives... Born in Tokyo, Japan. In Ju- I don't know why she was there, but I guess her, maybe her father was like in the military or something. Uh, well, her father was a part of the Great White Fleet. Yeah. July 1st, 1916. She'll be 104 if she lives till July 1st of 2020. Wow, I was joking, but that's literally true. For her to be in Japan at that time, her father yeah, had to have been a part of the... I, I may be off by a decade. She's in Gone with the Wind in 1939, The Adventures of Robin Hood in 1938. In this film, Lady in a Cage, 1964, I guess she was like, what, she would be 48, 49 in this? She looked even older. She was. I feel like she was definitely playing a little bit older. They're, they had her made up to look a little older, maybe. So, the plot of this film is... A couple episodes ago, I mentioned um, wh- uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Do you remember that when I was talking about that? Uh, I'm familiar with that film. So it's kind of in that vein a little bit, I think. I think those type of movies were kind of a popular at the time, early mid-60s. She, like someone getting, an, a little bit older woman getting terrorized in a house type of thing. Right. And and Baby Jane, it's the sister, is, terrori- is terrorizing her, her sister, but... In this one, it's called Lady in a Cage because she has this elevator. And this is something I've never seen before in real life or a movie. I don't know if it's something that was only around this time they had, but she's a rich poet or writer or whatever. Again, another writer, of course. She has, like, a broken leg. So she has, like, literally an elevator in her house, like, just going from one, like, the balcony in front of the bedroom to, like, the kitchen or, like, to below. It's like a, it is literally like a cage elevator. I've never seen anything like this before. You could even like look up a picture on Google or something. I've seen it in movies. Okay. I mean, maybe I haven't, I don't remember, but I thought it was definitely interesting looking. So what happens is the power goes out and it causes the elevator to get stuck. Well, it's like, it's just started going down. So she's still too high up to really, especially with the broken leg to get out. And then a... Like, the power's back on, but it doesn't make the elevator still stuck. And then first, like, a homeless-ish guy comes wandering in, starts stealing and looking around. He gets, like, another woman he knows, and they start robbing it, just leaving her in there. But then James Conn and his two friends catch wind of it, and they kind of, like, come make the woman that's in there, like, work for them. And, like, they beat up the homeless guy and stuff, and they just terrorize Olivia de Havilland in the cage basically start breaking all her stuff, like stealing and all this stuff, and don't let her out, obviously. So that's like the that's the conceit of the film. You like said I didn't love it. There were some parts I liked, but that sounds like it's very bad. It was a lot of the things were just more interesting. It was an LA film, like it took place in LA. 
so I always like seeing like especially since I live here now seeing stuff like that from like whatever time period it's interesting oh do you live in LA uh, that's right you didn't you didn't realize you dash nom I haven't talked I guess I haven't mentioned it before now so I guess you wouldn't know nor would the listener but but yeah so it's like she's on like a kind of a busy street but like the cars are just going by they can't hear also the thing is like there's the there's a button she presses where like it lights up outside to say there's trouble but like no one notices or then they the people disconnected or whatever so yeah but so like james khan is like a this is for a stroll he's like a young punk kind of guy like bad guy whatever irredeemable type character so that was interesting seeing him young probably like i don't know like probably 25 or whatever or 24 and yeah just it's crazy that the Haviland is still alive but not too notable a film like i said i think it was part of this craze of like older actresses being in these these type of films where they're terrorized or terrorizing but yeah but it's interesting that it was a he's got Khan has two two uh, trapped films like that including his first one or that he was later in a, a very famous film misery after starting yeah, yeah that's funny um, but yeah is there any other trapped films you want to either recommend or talk about yeah I've got a couple to talk about if anyone is wanting, and I, I personally will not be doing this, but if anyone's wanting to, you know, get real into quarantine, the claustrophobia film genre is one that I, like, have a lot of experience with. First, I want to recommend The Descent. That is a really great movie that's just like a, it's almost like a slasher horror movie. Basically, the they can see these, these women go spelunking and get lost and then have to fight a veritable society of golem-like creatures to get out but it's in and it's got this central like thing where they're like getting over a past trauma and 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 deception among the group but it's not like a like some beautiful central metaphor like the babadook or or like a really interesting at least central metaphor like it follows like it's very much of the previous decade where we just want to see people suffer and, and and succeed. Yeah. Well, it's a little bit like, sorry to cut you off, but I it, it just reminded me. Speaking of Pew again, of course, like we do, the it's a little bit like Midsummer and in, in the fact that there's like a big tragedy for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the cold open or whatever, you know, and then goes on this journey and all this crazy stuff. Yeah, there is so, that trauma there, but it's not like a theme it's just a thing that happened to get them where they are but it's a really great horror movie and it's like Mm -hmm. a bunch of scenes of them trapped underground getting grosser and grosser diving into literal rivers of blood um i can't recommend it enough it is one of my favorite mediocre horror films from that decade at a certain point they're literally crawling through like really tight tunnels and stuff too and like the pitch black kind of thing right if i recall i've seen it a couple years ago yep um, I think that's from like 2005, 2006. I didn't see it when it came out, but I saw it more recently. 2009, I think. Oh, I don't think so. I, I kind of remember when it came out, and I'm pretty sure I was like in high school, maybe just in college. I, I'm i going to look it up, but I know it's uh, it's Scotland, right? It takes place in Scotland. Or the um, it takes place Scottish, in Virginia, but they're that, yeah, right, they're Scottish. They the Descent is 2005, yeah. Yeah, Neil Marshall. Oh, 2005, okay. Who, who is Scottish. He's done a couple of Game of Thrones episodes, I believe. I, I think he directed the... Yeah, he did Blackwater. Blackwater, yeah, which is maybe the best episode of the show. So, yeah, The Descent. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, actually, they made a... So maybe you're thinking 2009, The Descent 2. I'm assuming that was some type of direct-to-DVD. I don't think Neil Marshall uh, had anything to do with that, but... 
I watched them both in January. Uh, the Scent okay. 2's not terrible. No, let me think. I, I haven't really... I mean, my favorite... What I, what I usually say my favorite... It's hard to pick your favorite movie ever. I, it's not a type of thing I like to do, whether it's movie, show, song, whatever, but... Arguably my favorite film of all time is kind of a trapped film, um, which is Rear Window, the Alfred Hitchcock film from 1954. Oh, uh, yeah. He is, obviously that's like a, a incredible, one of the most influential films ever, probably, with the, just the setup. It's been copied a ton of times or just remade in different ways. But it, like, Jimmy Stewart in that is obviously trapped. And it does have a little bit of the vibe of Misery where, Misery is different where you're like kind of in the James... James Conn is your, you know, um, it's like you. What, what am I trying to say? You know, it's like yeah. you're the... He's your avatar. He's your, Yeah. Yeah, he's your avatar. And and the stuff is happening to him, a.k.a. to you. Like, Kathy Bates is, is smashing the hammer on you. So, Rear Window is different in the fact that the stuff's happening, like, across the street. For the most... Until toward the end of the movie, it's not happening to Jimmy Stewart directly. He's, like, insinuating himself into what's going on with his voyeuristic behavior um, so it's different from that regard but it is trapped like he's like have you seen this film by the way Eric? i have seen rear window so like i said it's maybe my favorite film ever it's definitely uh, in my top 10 he, he is trapped like with a broken leg um in his room uh so that's why he's watching the stuff like you know across the street and making up seeing what's going on in everyone's life i think it's supposed to be in greenwich village yeah um and then of course he he discovers that something shady is going on with his neighbor across the street the wife, the nagging wife, seems to have uh, not is not being seen anymore, and the husband is going out at strange hours of the day with uh, different things. There's a whole thing with the dog, of course, burying, uh, digging stuff up in the yard, all this thing. Literally parodied by absolutely everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that is like a trapped film in a way. It's not the exact same, but um, I mean, if you think, if you really like think about it, there are a ton of trapped, as I'm calling them. Uh, films it, it is like a well writers go to a lot when i guess when they're trying to think of i mean it makes sense because you're thinking you need to have stakes for your characters in your movie and there's not much that creates more heightened stakes than literally being trapped in a location especially if you're in danger even i mean if you want to even get more heady about it or whatever that you could probably point to plenty of films that are like trapped not physically trapped but like melodramas where you're trapped in a marriage or trapped in a bad relationship or whatever it is like your your character your main character or characters being trapped in a situation is certainly um, yeah is certainly one of the one of the wells the writers go to a lot for good for good reason obviously i also want to recommend blue ruin and green room well yeah green room they're literally a punk band trapped in the uh they're both by the same director uh jared Jeremy Saulnier, yeah. In Green Room, they are literally a punk band trapped in a venue in the middle of nowhere by a gang of, like, Nazis um, that they have to fight their way out. And that's a really, like, crunchy, paranoid, claustrophobia movie. But Blue Ruin, his his film before that... Yeah, I've seen it, and I'm trying to remember now why it's a trapped film. It takes place all over the map. He's literally in a car for a lot of it, chasing people. But it has this, like, no country for old men style claustrophobic sense of, like, doom and dread that is still, like, thematically on point. So I do want to recommend those two movies. I think that they're both great. Without spoiling much about any of them, or either of them, because they're pretty recent. The other two that I was thinking of 
um, where the Blair Witch, where they're, like, they're literally out in the open, they are roaming the woods, and everyone's seen this fucking movie, but it's worth revisiting because it fucking rules. They are, <laughs> to spoil a 20-year-old movie, trapped together. And then Cloverfield and 11 Cloverfield Lane or whatever, uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, um, are both really worth watching. That's good. I thought it was maybe a touch overrated. Maybe it was just built up too much for me. Ten Cloverfield Lane. I did enjoy it though. Um, Mary Elizabeth once said she's good. Yeah, but touching back on Blue Rune, I guess maybe I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I saw it, but I, de- I definitely remember liking it a lot. But is he more kind of trapped in the decisions he starts? Making? Exactly. Yeah, that's why I referenced No Country for and Old Men. You're kind of trapped as the viewer of like this why isn't going to go great. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's kind of like we were talking about that whole sort of plot line the safety brothers yeah yes with uncut gems right and the safety brothers like your character starts doing things you're like you know it's not going well don't do it but they go down that path and yeah green room of course you've got patrick stewart uh nazi <laughs> playing very speaking of playing against type but uh, except for his bald head i guess yeah those movies are great i didn't watch hold the dark that's straight to netflix um in 2018 that he did but jeremy solnier he's definitely earned the right f- for me to watch his third film i think i saw it but i'm trying to i'm struggling to remember it does it it have jeffrey wright as the lead in that i think maybe yeah jeffrey wright is tracking some kids and wolves in alaska that's right i did see it It, yeah not as good as green room or blue room but but yeah probably worth watching and green room i remember yeah it's like it's it's definitely it definitely fits right into this yeah trapped thing and they're uh, literally trapped in a green room but that that's another one kind of like i was saying about misery very realistic i think in the terms of like um maybe it's it it is kind of similar because like yeah you're saying like misery has this heightened sense of like this crazy woman that's not realistic and then this could you could say the same thing is this a realistic situation to get yourself into maybe maybe not it's certainly very heightened with the 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 nazi gang i don't know man nazis are back dude they're they they are out here and they are not being quiet my point was that in both films, the way the people, the protagonists, get out or attempt to get out is handled in a pretty realistic way, where it's not something crazy out of nowhere, and it's yes, very visceral. Yes. Certainly, like there's something in Green Room that is that can be akin to uh-huh. uh, the uh, yep. the hobbling scene. Yeah. The other thing I was gonna say before you were, you were, uh, that I just thought of was since I mentioned Rear Window Hitchcock, another of his films that's literally definitely more of a, a direct trapped film is this film called Lifeboat which is from, it's one of his earlier films. It's definitely came out before Rear Window, but the plot of that is... I haven't seen it. It's good. I recommend it. It's either 10 or 12 or something. People stuck in a, literally stuck in a lifeboat. The entire film takes place in this lifeboat. A true bottle film, one location film. Oh, wow. They, they have like basically have no water and all this stuff, and they have to like survive till someone can rescue them. And that's the plot of that one. So that's good. That's definitely good. Right down the line, trapped a film from hitchcock yeah so yeah i mean that's uh i think we can uh we can wrap it up unless you wanted to throw any more out or talk about anything else but uh, yeah definitely some some good tr- if you if you're like me and you do want to turn to movies in this time of quarantine some uh, picks for you and e dash now i'm gonna try to get you slowly but surely i'm gonna try to get you off the the 10 minute ghost feds on to some i mean some long, I, slow I, films. I, I welcome those efforts, but also if you want to watch some sick ghost sighting videos, just let me know. Okay. Well, with that being said, I think for our next, for our May 2020 episode, I assume we'll still all be in quarantine then, but um, we, I think we will do 
barring any changes to my mind, we, we can do our, uh, we can go back to the uh, choose your co-host adventure movie episode. This time we were, we were going to do the one we think is more up your alley. And I actually did another film I watched recently for the first time is I think maybe what I'm going to choose for you. I'm, I'm definitely interested to get your opinion on it. I could say it right now for everyone if you want. I don't know. Did you have one in mind for me? I'd use, no pressure to throw it out now. I didn't have one in mind for you, and you've seen hundreds more movies than me, I think. Yes, it'll be it'll be tough. Well, let me just... I have a feeling you haven't seen this. I'd be very surprised if you have, but I'm going to throw it out for you right now and give you some advanced time on the homework here. Well, apparently I'm going to need it. Yeah, so... The film is called... It's a French film, by the way, so how does that sound to you? French language film. That works for me. You know I love my frogs. Yep. So I figured that was up your alley as well. It is... There's a couple of reasons why it's... One reason I, I definitely want to discuss it is I actually saw some parallels with this one, too. I won't get too much into it now, but with the, the Best Picture winner, Parasite, which we both love. Maybe I don't want to spoil anything, but maybe a, maybe a few parallels in that direction. Mm. Yeah, so the director is Claude Chabrol. He's, he had a very long career spanning decades. This is one of his last films, I believe. I'm not... Let me see these laps, though. It's from 1996. Uh, no, he died in 2010. It's called La Ceremonie, but it's based on, I believe, a, a novel by an American called A Judgment in Stone, which is the... I guess the American title, but I definitely want you to watch the subtitle. I'm not sure if there is a non-subtitled version, but I definitely okay. would want you to watch the French version. I mean, I'll watch it in French. French is like the language I have the least problem with subtitles, as we've discussed. I'm seeing 1995 and 1996's years for this. I think 95, technically. And yeah, the last thing I'll say about it for now before, I, before you go and do your homework is uh, Claude Chabrol, the director, when it was released, he said it was maybe the last uh, communist film. Okay. Or the last okay. communist we're doing, film. We're doing films that are right up my alley. Yeah, you didn't lie. Yeah. So that is, the, uh, write it down if you need to, Last Ceremony, by, uh, uh, directed by Claude Chabrol, starring, uh, you know, one of the stars uh, is uh, Sabelle Huppert, who is kind of considered the French Meryl Streep. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's very popular. She said some, like, really shitty stuff in 2015, but Isabelle Huppert is a great actor. Uh, Jacqueline Bassett is the, other, is the only other person in the film that I knew by name. And yeah, it's a bunch of French, French people. So. Hell yeah. That's your homework, as well as your homework is finding one to assign me. But that's going to do it for April. Movies are relevant. We're still trapped, as are you probably, but at least you can do it with a good podcast now. So uh, do subscribe to Brooklyn Rebound Network. We actually have released a bunch of episodes lately. With the quarantine, we've got back in the lab with our Pod Trump interruption style episodes with me and Enam, and uh, not E Nam, but Enam, Pod Nam, and our friend Aaron, who does some uh, does does a funny uh, Trump. You might think like, oh, I don't need to hear another Trump impression or whatever. It's not about that. It's about the comedy, the improv. And we have some good, funny guests on as well from the, the recent episodes. So you want to check that out. As well as my YouTube channel, Drew's Views. Check out some TV reactions. Check out E-Nam on uh, at no thanks y'all on Twitter. Uh, and until next time, we're up out of here. Stay safe out there. Stay trapped in good fashion. Peace. Wear your goddamn mask. Wish I could live. Like I'm longing
Productions.